The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen now. All right. Yeah, you sound fine. That's <laughs> all right. How about how about how about how about you two? How do I sound to you? Uh, you sound fine. Yeah, you sound fine. How about you, Paul? Uh, I, yeah, you're you're clear, crystal clear. All right. All right. My notes are up. I just watched a video on how to play this song on the guitar, so now I can talk about it musically. Yeah, only now. Yeah, I, oh man, I think when I when I first heard this song, like I was like, oh man, like I want to play it, and then like you know, bef- no, I couldn't find any tabs or anything like that for anywhere, and I'm bad at hearing something and being like, okay, now fingers do that thing, and YouTube is your friend, Brandon. Yeah, well, that, is your friend. It, it, it you know, it's around now, and you can find. Oh, that you're talking about in 03. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, ready when you are, man. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 11 of the Better Band Podcast, an all-encompassing trip through every song in the Pearl Jam catalog. I am your host, Brandon Paloma. Each episode, I go track by track with a guest through every album, soundtrack, single, and B-side to discover why you simply can't find a better band. Welcome back to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon today talking about the Lost Dog Other Side with guests Jason Carapesi and Paul Gillieri from the State of Love and Trust Podcast. Hello, you two. Hello. It is a pleasure to be back. Oh, well, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for uh, taking time from your own hectic podcasting schedule Indeed. and parenting to, uh, <laughs> to talk with me today. When the kids are asleep, Brandon, we talk Pearl Jam. That's how it works in this house and over at Paul's house. When the pot, when the kids are asleep, the podcasting begins. Yeah. That's right. Indeed. <laughs> we used to party, now we pot. On the other side, pun intended. This this is our third go round, isn't it? Is it not? I believe yes. we did two others with you. Yeah, yeah, we did. We we've uh, we've guested twice. Guesting is a verb on this show. Or gerund? No, I don't think so. It, it can be a gerund. Exactly. Why not? Wait, what the hell is a gerund? A gerund is a uh, it's a verbal. It's a noun. A noun it, that it's, ends it's, with it's, ing. It's, yeah, it's a you 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 take swimming right. You say I enjoy swimming. Oh. I enjoy the act of swimming. So in that sentence, swimming. Is a thing that you enjoy. So it's, it looks a like a verb. That? It's being used as a noun. Learn something new, huh? Yeah. The more you know. There you go. <laughs> anyway, this song was written by Jeff and was featured on the Save You B-side. Featured as a B-side on the Save You single. There we go. That's a better way of saying it. Uh, I believe it was also on some, uh, one of the promotional. Well, Love Boat Captain, I think. Yeah. They have only played this song three times so far. The first time was on this, or I'm sorry, October 24th, 2010 at Bridge School. And then two other times, you can pretty much find all three of them online and listen to them yourself. Worcester, Mass. And Krakow, Poland. Yes. 2013 and 2018. That only three times. Good Lord. Yes, there's a... a, a... Which ver- which versions did you think were the better? Ver- if you were to rate the three <laughs> the three versions, you can find. I don't know if you guys. Listen, but... uh, uh, oh, well, I, I have by by proxy of of this whole process of. Oh yeah, exactly. So uh, I cannot reveal that yet, though. I cannot reveal it yet. Oh, that's true. That that would be giving away uh, our show whenever we decide to do this song. Oh, okay. I will say this about this particular song, though. I I find it to be. Really interesting in the sense that Riot Act, when it came out, was not the most accessible album, at least to me. You know, a lot of fans, I think, really worked with this album. We, we had songs like Save You and Love Boat Captain that came out. And, and I think those, those tracks kind of set the tone in an interesting way because the dichotomy between the two sounds was, was very different. But I, I can safely say that I don't think either one of those songs necessarily you know, lit fandom on fire. So. It's not like you hear these two songs and you think, God, I can't wait for this album. You know, this, this is going to be a great album. Mm-hmm. Now, the album, I think, has, has aged better than, than I would have thought it would have when I first listened to it. I, I've become far more, I guess, eclectic in my taste as I've grown older. But, but I think with a song like Other Side, what fascinates me about Riot Act and Binaural specifically, these two albums, are that in, in many respects, one could argue that the songs left off the album are arguably superior than some of the tracks that 
that were retained. Uh, now, in this in this particular case with Riot Act, you had three tracks from the recording sessions, namely Down, Undone, and Other Side. I could confidently say, at least in my opinion, that all three of those songs are stronger than a song like Help Help. Yeah. Right? So would Riot Act be viewed differently? Would it be remembered differently if a song like Other Side were on the album? Well, yep. I mean, interestingly enough, Mike said that Down came out a little lighter than the band thought that it would, and they decided not to put it on the album because they didn't think it fit with the other songs. I'm not so sure that all the songs on Right Act necessarily fit with each other. I, I, I think that, you know, you look at those recording sessions, take a song like uh, You Are, okay? You Are is very personal. I, I'm not sure how a song like You Are fits the record, but a song like Other Side does not. I think mm. in, in many ways, a song like Other Side would be a strong track on this album. Uh, I think it's it's a fantastic Jeff composition. Um, it, it's very intimate in it, in its subject matter. This idea that um, you know he's reflecting on his his parents' relationship, if I recall, and one of his parents having passed on. What is it like to write about that from the vantage point of the person who's in the afterlife? You know, conventional wisdom would suggest the songwriting approach would would try to capture. The, the sense of loss for the, the person who remains. But I love the ambition behind saying, well, hold on a second, let's let's flip that card over. What is the perception of the one who's gone? Um, there's a great show on Star, I think it was on Stars, it was called uh, The Leftovers. It was, uh, I think it was a Damon Lindelof, Lindelof show, the guy who, who helped write Lost. And it, basically the premise of the show is that you have all these people and then in an instant, I, I, I wanna say like 3% of the population just up and disappears gone mm. and the whole show is about the people who remain trying to, to pick up the pieces of their lives having no idea where their loved ones disappear to mm -hmm. but what you what you find out later and i'm not i don't want to spoil it for anyone listening is well, how that, long how long has this show been out paul <laughs> you can't really spoil a show that's like 12 years old <laughs> oh no i, I think, I, I think it, like, it just ended like three years ago or so well, maybe but i mean yeah, that's, that's, that's we live in an era of binge watching okay so the, <laughs> the point is is that th th there's a flip side in that the people who disappeared went somewhere too right and so what is it like to be on that other side and i don't think that we we really think about that this idea that when we pass on what we leave behind i mean what are there any sentiments that come with us? Do we just become dust, stardust? Or, or is there some sense of self that remains and, 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 and an awareness that comes with it? And I thought it was, like I said, just a really ambitious attempt at songwriting to think about writing the, 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 um, the point of view of the track from the person who, ha who is deceased. But more importantly, when you couple that with the, the, the beautiful sound, the composition itself has a very ethereal feel to it. Uh, it's very, it's very, very wispy in, in its approach. It's not the same without you up Can't find my Your absence is what we Warm breath and all I thought it was a just just a beautiful composition, very very poignant, and and very grounded in in a, a greater sense of longing, but not longing in in I miss the person who's gone sort of way, longing in a I I, I miss that connection of being tied down to something tangible, be being but you know what I mean. This it's this transcendental approach to to the uh, the subject. And thought it was just an outstanding composition. I think Riot Act is actually, would be a better album with this composition, with this song on it. So I I, I don't know, you know, <laughs> these these conversations as, as a band where they're sitting there trying to figure out which tracks to keep and which ones to put on the album, it, it, it amazes me. I mean, in some respects, you could say Lost Dogs is, is the album that it is because of the, the strength of a lot of these songs. Uh, you know, if, if, if we had a song like Help Help on Lost Dogs, I don't know if we look at Lost Dogs and say, man, what a great compilation of, of B-sides and rarities, you know? I mean, I think a lot, in a lot of ways, you look at it and say, I could completely see why these songs were left off the album, and you know, it's, it makes it kind of, kind of a more challenging listen. But 
it's just hard to argue why a song like this wasn't included. I think it's it's, it's one of Jeff's finer finer moments in the in the catalog. I think you raised a good point about it replacing something like "You Are." We we did a track listing, a reach reaction. But I wouldn't replace it with with "You Are." I, I think. Uh, I, I well, think no, I, I'm saying of... that based on what you said. Oh, you would. Well, I I, oh, okay. I wouldn't per se because we already did our retracking episode of this album back in episode 61. For those of you who want to go back and check that out, but I'll put the link in the notes. Thank you very much. We, uh, you know, that that was an interesting idea, and I think it was maybe the second episode. I'm sorry, the second album we ever tried to retrack, and. I think primarily because it had next to binaural, I think the most cutting room floor tracks that were widely available or at least produced up for us to listen to. And when you go back and think about it, even after the fact, and you know, we're 25 episodes, 30, 30 episodes past that, that show that we did. And when you brought up you are and, and how other sides should fit into that record and why it's not there. I say you are because you are is a very positive song. And there are a couple of, more positive songs on a record that's wholly kind of negative, both in its themes, but also in how it sounds and the way that the instruments are played and the way Ed sings. It's very down, right? And that's the, one of the things that was kind of hard to wrap my head around when I was, what, 20 when that album came out and expecting more of a rock album. You know, it's growing up with the first couple albums in Vitalogy and you know, you have the no code, you know, I don't want to say blip, but when you're young, that, that's a blip to you until you come to appreciate it later when you're older. But then Yield and Binaural kind of brought back some of that rock and roll feel that I was used to. And I think that right, I kind of threw me for a loop, especially with I Am Mine as the lead single. Now you parse through the album and it's, like I said, very down, very negative, very sullen, very serious. And there's some weird anomalies like you are that are positive there's a lot of existential questions that get raised there is songs like, there is like I, Duster I mean I, and i am mine and you are i think other side i mean it absolutely fits this album I, that's, that's what i'm saying i absolutely agree i absolutely agree i think it's a song that fits more within the structure and the theme and the overall tone of the record than more so than you are for sure and i think more so than maybe even i am mine it's 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 tough going back and seeing songs like like Other Side and Undone not make it. Uh, I get why Down was. That was pretty obvious because it's just out of the gate. It's a much more uplifting track, both from a musical standpoint and, and a theme. So yeah, I'm with you. I don't know why it didn't make the cut at the time. I think musically speaking, you know, as you mentioned, Brandon, it is a Jeff song. I think anybody who really came to appreciate Low Light uh, four years prior can easily see the through lines. It's a similar, uh, similar strumming pattern. Uh, it's got very interesting chord changes and voicings that are not normal. I mean, the, the very first chord of the whole song in the, in the verse is like this C power chord thing. And it leaves the, the, the high B and high E strings open. It creates this really kind of dissonant feel. And he kind of does that throughout the entire song with mm -hmm. certain chords. And that really adds this very strange and kind of unnerving, anxious kind of vibe. And I think you couple that with a very, very interesting perspective of death and separation, speaking from a different point of view than any of us ever talk about. I mean, so songs like Comeback are obvious. Like those are your classic, someone's moved on to the afterlife and we don't know where they are. And it sucks when we miss them, that whole thing. Like those songs have been written to death. And not to say that they aren't powerful because the good ones are, but how how interesting is it to to have a song where you're speaking from the other side? I mean, pun intended. And to approach to approach that that concept, the concept of the afterlife in such a agnostic kind of way. Like it doesn't acknowledge or pretend to assume any kind of religion or anything it's just saying that well hold on oh, hey. I, hold on hold on okay. look up the last are. line sit and stare stare begging for a prayer now i'm not suggesting a certain denomination being referenced here but i will say that there's that this concept of of faith in an afterlife and the idea that the only way that 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 one can commune is through prayer that you know you're here and you're begging for a prayer because that's the only way you can hear that voice Maybe agnostic isn't the right word. Then non-denominational would that be better? Uh, sure. <laughs> okay. So, so yeah, there, there you go. So the idea of of trying to incorporate just generically speaking that or the implication that there is something because this other person, this person who's who's singing the song, essentially the subject, is there. It's just implied out of the gate, and so I find that kind of soothing because I think for even 
you know, most people in the world believe in something greater than this world. And I think that that's kind of a binder. And I think even the people who don't necessarily believe in it or just concede that they don't know and don't really care to question things would say, but you know what? Because it's so unique and the story is so common, I'm, I'm going to buy in. I'm going to buy into this perspective because it's different and it makes people question like, you know what? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe there is something. Who knows? But it's just a very unique way of approaching this. And I, I don't know how you feel, Brandon, but when I started realizing that's what it was, and there are certain lines here, of course, that kind of tip the hand. Um, same without you up here, you know, death ain't the same without you. I mean, some things are more obvious than others, but I just, I, I find it incredibly interesting in tandem with the way that Jeff constructed the music. Yeah. There's a, oh man, there's a lot here. <laughs> Go for it, man. Well, um, first of all, uh, uh, if you have your lost dogs booklet out, uh, Jeff says this one started, this one started off being for my mom and dad. They've been married for 42 years, and they've been my biggest inspiration. Over the past couple of years that I wrote and reworked it, it turned into me and P, which I believe is a reference to his wife, Pandora. Partnerships are hard. Lifelong ones are just absolutely mind-blowing. I probably pushed a little too hard trying to get this one on Riot Act because it means a lot to me, and I really fell in love with how spooky and weird the demo sounded. Demo-itis was its name-o. And then Ed follows up and says, if life is a cruise ship and death is to disembark to another shore, then this song is what it's like to be on land while your partner remains out at sea. Ed also said that sad was the other side to Jeff's song, other side, which is a binaural outtake. This, however, came out from Riot Act. So... Does that mean the other side had been around all those years? And it looks like it because it says over the couple of years that I wrote and reworked it. So I guess that's... It must have been hanging around. I mean, according yeah. to PearlJamOnline.it, they don't show it on the, the binaural sessions. However, it doesn't mean that there wasn't a demo floating around in, in Jeff's house, at least, you know. Yeah, and it does have a very Jeff sort of sound to it. Um, yeah. Like you got this weird sort of almost droning like heavily distorted bass in the chorus and i think that might be the uh the second bass possibly that stone is credited as playing Jeff is is, pl- is playing guitar and uh, bass on this as well. It's it's got some weird sounds, especially like in the bridge. There's like I don't know if it's like a weird sort of drum machine or something like a sort of sound that's going on back there, um, where it all sort of breaks down before it comes back in. It's very haunting. <laughs> organ in there it feels like there's like a droning organ too possibly it could be it could be yeah it's it's there's a lot of weird sounds in it which i think is a leftovers from jiff's demo and mm. maybe why they felt it didn't fit on riot act just because what do, you, what do you think about that about it being on riot act or not being on well that maybe should it be um i don't know primarily because i'm sort of if you cut out let's say if you cut out help help that takes out one of the political songs in the album and i think they wanted to sort of balance political songs with sort of emotional personal sort of songs that's just Mm -hmm. how i read riot act after you know going through it last season and everything and so this song you know when when you when you think about this this album though brandon like the title itself of the album came much later they had this whole thing ready to go they didn't know what the hell to title it and then eventually Eddie suggested Riot Act, and they were just so sick and tired of trying to come up with a, a title for the album that they went with it. And, and Mike is, is on record as saying that, I'll quote him here, I guess we were trying to come up with a title that reflected some of the music on the record, which we thought was urgent sounding and kind of loud. It just seemed to fit. Mm-hmm. And uh, then Jeff chimes in and says it has to do with getting your act together. So if, if, if their vision for the album was, hey, we want to be loud and we want a sense of urgency, 
you could see why a song like Bush League or, or uh, you know, Get Right, songs like that end up on the album. That said, though, there are other songs that, that, that don't necessarily have that sound. You know, like Ark, for example. There's no sense of urgency there at all. And yet there's obviously a, a very grounded reason for a track like that on there. Mm -hmm. I just have a hard time reconciling the fact that a song like Other Side doesn't fit this album. To me, it fits thematically. Yeah. It fits sonically. It, it, it's, it's a great addition to this, this album. I can see why Jeff lobbied hard for it. And I would, I would have loved to have heard the counter argument from the rest of the band as to why they didn't think it, it, it belonged. It might also have to do with how complicated the lyrics are because it doesn't fit a traditional rhyme scheme. There are rhymes in it. You know, you start in the beginning, hear, fear, wheels, steals, you know, A, B, A, B. Okay, yeah, sure. Okay, that's that's good. Uh, you can't know how it feels to be in here. All the dark lost deals feels. Okay, yeah, sure. And then you get the second verse. Uh, here, rule, connect, near, uh, here and near. Okay. The first one and the last one rhyme. Okay. That's, uh, whatever. And you know, uh, can't know what it's like to bleed from here. Black and rogue was white, white, like that kind of rhymes, but nowhere in here that doesn't rhyme. Death, hide, worse, quiet, hide, quiet, kind of slant rhymey there. It's, it's just, there's weird rhymes. And when you hear the live versions, the lyrics are all over the place. He doesn't know what to say from one line to the next. And I, I think that possibly he could have been looking at this like, I can only sing this if I have the words right in front of me. I can't memorize this. Which he does now a lot. I yeah. wonder, you know, it's only been played three times and, and the, the gaps were massive between those three recordings. I mean, you've got 2010 and then three years later in 2013 and then five years later in 2018. So it may have been just that he didn't have them written down and was going off memory and, and it is a, a funky meter and, and structure. Mm -hmm. But you've got, you know, think about In the Moonlight. It's similar in that regard. It's pretty kind of all over the place in a Matt song. And that's been played, I don't know how many times, not not enough, probably like 10 or something like that. But from what I remember of that song, he seemed to, in the live respects, do it okay. But he, maybe he, I don't know. It's hard to say because maybe he had the lyrics for that one and uh, in front of him and was able to remember how it went. It, who knows if they even rehearsed it enough before the live versions. It's not super normal like you're pointing out. But then again, if you're thinking about Riot Act, how many of those tracks have traditional structures? I felt like the whole record was kind of unstructured in that sense, for the most part. In the Moonlight's only been played four times, so. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Just one more time than this. One more time. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I don't know. I think it, it can be kind of tricky for how things seem as far as lyrically, like how, like what the lyric, like how it rhymes, the rhyme scheme and everything like that, like how easy it is to remember. I mean, he can't remember Get Right, the lyrics to Get Right, so they don't do that song. You Are needs the weird, needs the uh, drum machine thing, so they don't really play that. Thumbing My Way just says Heaven a Bunch. <laughs> and plus, I think some of the songs just aren't poppy enough to get the bulk of the audience to listen and to buy in and to be in to be excited by that stuff so a lot of that stuff just gets sort of left in the in the dark was that intentional though i mean how many of these songs were written not to be i mean it was an they actively pulled away in your vitality no code era right and this i don't know if this is a statement record but you know when they write in statement records a decade prior, they came at you hitting the face with it. They wanted you to know. And these are almost like a, um, not a, not a silent protest, but like, you know, they're, they're kind of comfortable is the wrong, the wrong word, but it doesn't seem like there, there's urgency to me. You know, I, I don't I'm not really sure why Jeff said that. I, I never thought this record was urgent at all. That doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it ha doesn't have something to say, but like, what's urgent about it? How many songs do you say, wow, this came after, this song came after me. This song demanded to be real listened. You know, a lot of these just kind of are. There's Green Disease, Bush Leaguer, I think Half Full. Bush Leaguer, I could see. Green Disease, I could see. Maybe Ghost. I guess Save, Save You has an urgency, uh, if not just sonically to it. I mean, a song like I Am Mine is urgent. Mm -hmm. And when you think lyrically about what the song's communicating, uh, same with Can't Keep and Save You. I, I agree that there's a, a sense of urgency there, but 
How is other side any different? You look at these lyrics here. It's not the same without you here. How can I quit to be there? Sit and stare, stare, begging for a prayer. You know what I mean? There is a sense of urgency of just of wanting that connection back and feeling helpless and completely, I don't want to say abandoned, but you know, your absence is what breeds this fear. There is a sense of urgency here, to, to, to me, at least in this song. Is it more passive than a song like uh, Green Disease or, or a song like uh, I Am Mine? Perhaps so, but I, I, I don't know. I think when I hear urgency, I, I think of music first. And if you're trying to convey an urgent message, generally in, in my brain, if the music doesn't match that, then how am I going to feel the urgency when you mm -hmm. get to the words? Does that make sense? Sure. But is thumb, Thumbing My Way, Bush Leaguer, Half Fool, Ark, All or None, even Love Boat Captain. I mean, I, I don't know that there's this, there's an, any, there's any greater sense of urgency in any of those songs than there is in a song like Other Side. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. I, like and, I said, and if you if you if but, you think about the music, guys, if you think about the can't keep Eddie song, right? Save You is a pretty much a, a collaborative effort. Uh, Love Boat, Eddie song. Crop Duster was Matt. Ghost was Jeff. I am mine and thumbing my way, Eddie. You are and get right, Matt. Eddie does Green Disease. Stone contributes Bushlager. We get half full, which is Jeff. But then Ark is Eddie, and all or none is is Stone. So I, I don't want to say that Jeff was relegated to the sidelines in this album. Because he did have a song like Ghost. He's got four songs. Well, he has Green Disease. He has, no, I'm sorry. He has uh, uh, Help Help. Right. He has Help Help, which, I mean, of all these songs, I mean, I guess that one fits the sense of urgency more. But it's just interesting to me that, you know, the band's like, well, we'll, we'll let you have this one, but not us. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> guys, you got, you got it backwards here. <laughs> yeah, I'll never, I don't think I'll ever get over Help Help. It's just not. Not a not a standout track, let's just say for me. I don't know. I just I think that this this is a case of of an album that when when you have when they couldn't figure out what the title was going to be, it makes me wonder how how much of a focus was there in putting this thing together. Like how much of a target was there created on behalf of the entire band to say this is what we want this this record this record to be. It was also the last one for Sony too, so it's sort of like just get it done. It could be, it could be, you know, it's like, ah, we got this song, let's get it out so we can get out of our contract, but also sort of like, you know, this could be the last chance that we have to make a statement because, you know, who knows if we're going to sign another contract, who knows if people, uh, w you know, how we're going to put records out after this, if we're going to put records out after this, you know, like what the, what the road ahead is, who knows, you know, let's try to go out with a bang and, either you know be as weird as we can be because we have a, a, a record company behind us and you know we don't have to worry about trying to sell 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 if we were doing this all of our all ourselves like the uh the, the next records or you know this is maybe the last time that we're relevant yeah if if we even still are I, relevant I they... since it's you know the the 2000s there, there are 15 tracks on this album. Yeah, it's a lot. 15. Mm -hmm. Now you add down, other side. Undone. And undone, right? And, and maybe even, I guess, last soldier, if you want. Uh, uh, there's a compelling case, and I think I made this argument in our retracking of it, that Riot Act could be a double album. Mm -hmm. would, I mean, would it be their strongest effort? No, but I think it would, if, if this, it's, it's arguably their biggest art rock record. Aside from Vitology, which I know most people don't agree with me on that, but I, I've long argued that Vitology is, is Pearl Jam's, you know, in a, in a vacuum. It's their white album. Mm -hmm. But I can't help but see how, Vi how this album, Riot Act, is not more interesting as a double album, as an art rock double album. I mean, me. we may have both said that. Well, yeah, I, I just I think it's it's if, if, if you just bring all this stuff in here and then just just kind of let let the experiment experimentation, pardon me kick off i think it'll be really interesting i mean stone said riot act really seems to showcase all of our thing there's a simple rock songs we could have written in the early area but it covers all the different times and dynamics that we've had and still holds together well great like just put it all out there then so i i'd love to see this re-released as a double album quite honestly i'd like to talk to adam casper because the way this album was recorded and mixed again you know when, when i hear the word urgency I, I, the first thing you hear, you know, unless a song starts off with singing, the first thing you hear in a song is the music. And if the music isn't urgent or the way that it's produced isn't urgent, there's a, there's a dichotomy with then an urgent lyric. 
And maybe that's the point, but it's hard for, I think, a lot of people to to latch on to those urgent themes if what they were expecting was something different or if it feels like the music is kind of all over the map and it's not cohesive enough. Well, it's live. Most of it was recorded live. I mean, Matt said it's our anti-Pro Tools record. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and there was a lot of spontaneity with this. Sure, but does that mean that that it needed to sound the way that it did? I think so. I think it was intense because it's live. It, it's there. There's a, a a spiritual element to it, which which is why I think the song like Other Side fits beautifully on it. But, I mean, you know, Casper said that it was a very relaxed atmosphere while they were recording. I think because they're in their comfort zone. They're a live band. They were Studio X. They're in Seattle. They weren't yeah. elsewhere. I guess Brendan O'Brien did mix it, but I mean, you got Eddie in a corner with his his typewriter. I mean, it, it's I don't know. I, I, if there was ever an album that was just ripe for 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 double album release, I mean, packaging the whole nine yards. I I think this is it. I mean, what I find interesting is that you think about the tour that came after, and that was probably one of the tours that I think kind of brought them out from under the fog of 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 mainstream. Music because binaural and right act, you know those those didn't do a whole lot commercially. Mm-hmm. But there was something about the the attitude on on the right act tour, and I think it was. I, I know that binaural tour was the first one to have bootlegs, but I think the right act tour kind of it kind of brought them up a notch. And there was a certain speciality to that tour. I actually went to four shows in that tour, and. It was intense. Every night was was intense. I mean, the 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 Madison Square Garden DVD show was an incredible example of that. And so, when you talk about urgency, these songs come to life to me in the live setting. They they were they were palpable in the shows that I went to. Those those Japan shows were a great example. A great example as well. Yeah, even even with the crowd that you know in Japan that they're, they're famously kind of uh, is this the right word to use sanguine, D- demure or reserved. <laughs> yeah, at times. yeah. And, and, and even still. You gotta. Unless you, you're Mr. You got, Big. If you're Mr. Big, they go ballistic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a great callback. Um, yeah, the, the, the urgency that that Jeff talks about was was there when it comes to the live experience. It just it for me it didn't match the record. So I love listening to a lot of these songs live over the record because of that. Because I feel like the music then kind of kicks up a notch, which is actually the reverse of binaural to me. I think by binaural the music is pretty damn rocking. But it was, and I know you have an issue with this, Paul. When it got to the the shows of the tour, it felt m- more muted. Well, more like they put like a big wool sweater over the over the distortion pedals, you know? Yeah, it, it really, really did. I mean, there's a lot of alternate tunings on Riot Act. You know what I mean? The, the, we don't really get a lot of that in prior or even subsequent albums to, to, to the same degree. So I, I think uh, a song like Other Side, aside from being one of Jeff's finer achievements, I think that it, it's it's just a great example of of what Pearl Jam is capable of when they step out of their comfort zone. But I'd like to see the band embrace that more in terms of, of what they're willing to release and in terms of, of the way that they're willing to release it. It's mind-blowing to me that we have a band that's been around this. I mean, even Smashing Pumpkins released a double album. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. Melancholy. I, I'm just surprised that as long as Pearl Jam has been around, they've never felt this need to, be, to, to, to release an album in that format. And I know minutes, I, Paul. That's how long this record well, was. I think, I think it was probably the longest until Gigaton. You're probably right. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, uh, you know maybe Gigaton would have been right for this as well. I'm not really sure. I know that you know Jeff said there's a bunch of little masterpieces still sitting around on the cutting room floor. But uh, you know, if you look at the spine of Gigaton, I was convinced that it was going to be one of two pieces. I thought that there was going to be a, a yeah, it had the half heart on it, right? Yeah. yeah, and it was interesting, but. Uh, I, I don't know. I I would love to uh, to see the band re-explore this. I feel like Riot Act is a, is an album that they feel as though the critical response was you know some type of signal. Essentially, they're saying the fans have spoken. You, know, the, mm. you don't really hear them playing Riot Act content even today. So it's it, it, to me, it's the type of album where you know what if they released this as a double album and they threw a bunch of extra stuff on there that I, I'd have to go back to to look at the recording sessions to see if there was anything else on here. I think they had like a severed hand demo at that point in time but there's a lot there's a lot they, on there i would buy this thing you know what i mean there's a lot i, I would totally buy this thing as, as a double album regardless of when i ever get to hear a lot of it live again to me in a lot of ways if, if the beatles could make records to make records to, you know pearl jam's the antithesis of that you know the, the beatles d- delved it down the path where they just wanted to record and they lost themselves in process because they knew that they were never going to go out and play live again so they were able to just do that i think riot act is as close as pearl jam ever came 
to saying, let's just have fun in the studio right now and not really get too concerned with how it's going to sound live. That's uh, an yet, interesting point, man. Yeah. The, the irony is that it sounds, all these songs sound fantastic live. Yeah. So I don't know. I, it's, I'm not going to go as far as to say Riot Act is a masterpiece, but I mean, I, I do think that Riot Act is uh, an essential moment in the band's catalog. Yeah. And I think that it's a moment that wasn't properly seized. I wonder if it's, you know, Brandon, you brought up the fact that, you know, it was the last studio record for, for Sony. I think the last actual thing they did was, was Lost Dogs, actually, because they had to fulfill, right? And they didn't want to do another record with them. It was, it was either that or the greatest hits. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I wonder if there was a sense of we're in a certain headspace. Let's just kind of let that envelop us and just kind of write whatever the hell we want. And without the the pressure to know that there's something after this or that there is going to be a response, let's just do whatever the hell it is that we're all feeling. Yeah. Even though I'm sure they knew that, you know, we're going to go to a tour and we like to keep making records with it. There was an uncertainty, right? And I think it allowed them to be kind of free in a sense. And, and, you, and you hear that, um, especially looking at the sessions again, there's like fucking 30 songs here that, you know, some of these things are things that ended up on uh, ukulele songs. Some, I don't know what they, what they became. Say Goodbye, Satellite, Searchlight. Like, what are these things? Had enough. Islands. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's just some, levels. I mean, some th- th- these stuff. might just be sketches. Yeah. I mean, they might be. You know, acoustic number three or nine, I forget what it and, is. From, and we from, might not know until, you know, the guys are long gone and we get the, you know, 40th year anniversary, you know, complete box set with every take and riff imaginable. And then we go, oh, that's what that was. Oh, that sucked. <laughs> Whatever, you know, it, it could just be all be garbage, which is like, oh, you guys are smart. You didn't put it out. But like, we don't know that. So we don't know the, the full context of the sessions to say, wow, there was a lot of gold here and they just decided to put out what they thought was their favorite 15 of four of a, of the, of a cohesive unit as we could possibly put together. We, we won't know. We, you know, we've only heard really three tracks beyond what was there. And we all, I think, agree that they're pretty damn good and question whether or not they should be on the record at all. Yeah. Uh, uh, Paul, to, to, to correct you a little earlier from the beginning, uh, I believe stones or, uh, Jeff's parents are both still alive. At least, no, they, uh, they are. I'm saying he was imagining oh, okay. what that experience would be like. And I thought that, you know, the idea was let me write from this other point of view, mostly because it's kind of hard to imagine. Okay, if I was to write a, a composition about one, one, one of my parents losing another one, to have to write from the point of view of my parent, I'm having to project that sense of loss onto, onto somebody that I, you know, and, and who's not dreading that moment, right? I think it's easier when your parents are alive to say, well, let me take the other side. Let me write from that vantage point, because I think it's not that it's less threatening, because, again, I said it was very ambitious and I, and I still stand by that. But I think that the idea of taking that approach might have been more he might have been more amenable to that process because he didn't have to imagine the sense of pain of still being here mm-hmm. and having to watch one of his parents try to find a sense of identity and, and find a way to keep moving on. You know what I mean? So I think that played into to the ambition as well. But, you know, the, the flip side to your point, Brandon. The is, other side to say, so to say? Well, yeah, well, yeah there you go. Uh, you know, he's, he has said with other songs, you know, that when he looks back on his childhood now, nothing as it seems is a great example. It wasn't all, you know, strawberries, milkshakes, and, and sweaters. You know what I mean? I mean, there, there, are, some, there are some parts that I think that he, he's on record as saying that he had suppressed. And I think that this is just kind of a, I don't, he's such a fascinating, there's a depth and breadth to his songwriting and, and where he's willing to explore with his, his songwriting that I think is, is so profound. And, and as an artist, the way that he's able to, going all the way back to like Mother Love Bone days with the apple and the faces on, on, on the apple, uh, there's something about his ability to, to artistically see concept and to somehow find a way to kind of bring that to fruition. And I think that his, there's an expressionistic approach to that. And I think you see that come out in his songwriting. And that's why sometimes lyrically, his writing is not maybe as accessible as somebody like Mike's is. Mm-hmm. But I think that musically speaking, he's, he's on a different plane, man, sometimes. It's funny, in Lost Dogs, and he praises Mike, like this idea that, you know, when, when Mike writes a song, we all fall to our knees and, and, and you know, and, which I'm sorry, uh, Matt, not Mike, which I get. I mean, Matt, Matt Cameron's songwriting is very unique as well. He is. I don't think yeah. Jeff gets nearly enough credit to, to what he brings to the band's sound and what he's capable of 
I think he's better as a songwriter for Pearl Jam than he is independent, mostly because uh, I, I feel that there's something about the rest of the band's ability to kind of tighten things and, and rein him in in certain areas that really allows the, the songs to, to uh, thrive. Mm. But like a song, Other Side Case in Point. Though, uh, you know, it's very possible that the rest of the band might say, actually, no, Paul, he, he just brought that demo in and we just cut it. I mean, it, it, you know, we played it live and this is how he wanted it to sound and we agreed and it, it was what it was. I don't know. I wasn't there, you know, but uh, it, I, I compare the songwriting that he produces for Pearl Jam Records to what he does in his solo stuff. And I just think that there's a there's a distinct difference. I think that there's a, a strength and a, a dynamic quality to what he's doing with Pearl Jam. And I, I feel that I... I can recognize the contributions of the other band or at least the influence of the other band members absolutely yeah and i think other side is just like i said i mean it, it really really fits this album and i would love to know what a lot of these tracks are i mean it'd be a fun exercise to basically pull a song like longing to belong off the uke album i mean you know we had a uke song on binaural anyway and just grab all the songs that we have some some type of a recording of slap them together i mean i actually did this i didn't put longing to belong on there but I have a, a playlist with all of the songs from Lost Dogs that were cut off Riot Act. And it, it sounds great. It's a great composition. It's a lot of fun to retract this one. Uh, but I just wish there was more content, more material. And I, I think a lot of fans would like that. I think this, this album, I don't want to say it was disappointing to a lot of fans, but it did underwhelm. I think it wasn't the most accessible, as I've said. And I think that fans would welcome the opportunity to say, hey, you know, give us this again and just throw more on there. You know, have, have fun with it. Speaking of having fun, I do I do need to cut out because a little guy is crying in his crib at this point. <laughs> okay, well, thanks, thanks, thanks for joining us, Paul. It was a pleasure, oh, pleasure. Boy. I'm I'm glad I was able to uh, to be around as long as I was. I didn't think I'd make it this far. Well, well I'll have to have you back then to talk uh, uh, another song. So looking forward to it. Thank you as always, and uh, you guys bring it on home. <laughs> All right, we'll do the heavy lifting for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bye bye. All right. <laughs> okay now we can start the real show now that uh <laughs> now we're really gonna try uh <laughs> yeah i think the, the last thing for me really on this is you know paul brought up jeff as a songwriter and being under underrated and we, we've we done an episode on our favorite or what we think are the best jeff uh penned pearl jam songs and you know the ones I'm about to mention aren't necessarily on that list for us but think about this album so the other side didn't make it of course he did the music for Half Full. He wrote the lyrics and music for Help Help, which of course, like I said, not my favorite, but also Ghost and then played a part in Save You. And think about the previous record. You've got uh, Slide of Hand. You've got Nothing As It Seems, God's Dice, which I think is a very underrated song when it comes to lyrics. And of course, you've got Low Light and Pilot, which I also think is very underrated. He has, there's, there's a code and a style to how he tells a story or emotes something. And you always know when a song is his. I think this one might be the most accessible and less coded of his, which I think for those who are not as smart as someone like maybe Paul is, <laughs> uh, easier to, to understand and, and really um, discern what he means by, by his lyrics. And I think when you pair that with such a unique musical landscape, like I said before at the top, with the interesting chord choices, the interesting voicings, you get something that deserves more than what we've come to see of it in the, in the live experience. And because it didn't make it on the record, it's had less of a chance to be played live. I think that's generally the case with them outside of songs like you know, Ledbetter, for example. But um, yeah, Other Side is a fantastic song. And every time it pops into my shuffle, I'm like, oh man, this is a good one. But you forget about it because it's not on an album. So if you're the kind of person like me who goes and finds the album and goes, okay, play and just plays through, you, you forget about it because it's not there. It's it's on B-side or it's on Lost Dogs. And I, I think that all you out there, if you're nodding along to what we've been saying, go put it back on. Make, make yourself a little playlist. Uh, maybe, maybe retrack right act yourself and, and stick it on there. But it's um it's a really powerful song and uh, Jeff has done it again. <laughs> yeah, I think when I was listening to this today, you know, you, you hear the thing. It's like, okay, other side, you know, somebody died, blah, 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 blah. You miss somebody, blah, blah, blah listening to the lyrics and I'm reading it. And you know, the first, first thing I, I notice at least here, according, according to PearlJam.com, uh, the, the old streets seem to make it worse where it kind of, I thought it was like, Oh, New York streets seem to make it worse. I thought that's what it was. I thought it was New York too. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think even in one of the live versions, it sounds like he says New York streets. 
it might then, be. He might, he might have written it there. Yeah, I don't know. It kind of, it kind of old streets seem to make it worse. You know, like the that 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 just goes to say, like I think this could be two people who are dead. One's in heaven. One's in hell. Hmm. Whereas you know the the verses are heaven. The choruses are hell. Not the same without you up here. And then you can't know what it feels like to be in here. All the dark lost deals befriended me. Hmm. Come to hate the golden rule. You know, everybody has to be nice. We're up here in heaven. Oh, you know, the morning light don't show you near. And then, you know, you don't know what it's like to bleed from here. The blackened road goes white. It goes nowhere. Uh, I make the others run and hide. Old streets seem to make it worse. You know, it's I'm, I'm a ghost and I'm haunting places. You know, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to find you, trying to look for you or something like that. You know, I can't hold on to the weight you bear. My body's broken fast. Please lift me up. And I'm not the same without you up here begging for a prayer you know being in 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 heaven just waiting to to hear your voice possibly not you know uh, unless you know you're, you're thinking about hell is earth and we're all trying to get to heaven or something you know with you know the physical toil and hurt yeah. and everything like that that's an interesting thought yeah it could just be, it could be either i never i never thought about the hell perspective but it could just be that you know the dichotomy between real life actuality and the quote unquote good other side just makes it seem like reality is is that bad mm-hmm. by just by comparison you know yeah any anything has to be better than this right if mm-hmm, mm-hmm. suffering and people being jackasses <laughs> which is common. which is uh, yeah, which which uh is a lot of what <laughs> makes this a bad place hell is other people oh hey yeah, man, this this is a this is a deep one, and he uh, we're see we think we know what it is, and then you bring up hell or that light that Earth is hell, and it's like God, God damn it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that, Jeff. Yeah, I, I think the Jeff songs lyrically, the Jeff songs are I think the real super out out there art, arty ones. You know, people kind of say it's like, oh, you know, the Matt ones are kind of out there too but i think like jeff really spends time trying to flex those muscles and and you were saying too like um you know you know a jeff song when you hear it or something like that i mean like what what started off being the signature jeff sound i think from you know like 10 and and the 10 era and stuff is you know this real sort of heavy punky sort of stuff you know those sort of influences Mm -hmm. and then after you know vitology into uh uh no code and beyond his stuff has taken a tweak and sort of like you know let me get arty let me get out there let me really try to experiment and uh feel my oats with what music has yeah. to offer i wonder if he grew up not grew up but like i wonder if he or all of them really just matured in different at different speeds or different rates because on the one hand, you could say that, you know, all of his kind of real rock and stuff was early on for the most part, and he, he mm. has just less of it coming out of him now. Or if he said, I prefer to bring to the guys more of the artistic cerebral side of me and leave some of that pure punky rock and roll stuff to myself. If you think about like the last uh, record he put out uh, last year, 2021, Solo stuff. you know, it's very yeah. kind of just punk rocky, um, simplistic. I, you know, that always fascinates me how guys decide to choose where their music goes. You know, Stone said, uh, I think last year sometime that Eddie was his muse. Whenever he writes, he always thinks about, about Eddie and that anything else that doesn't get to Eddie can go to somebody else. It's kind of like leftovers. But, you know, it, it's interesting to see where Jeff's headspace goes. And he's, I don't think anyone's ever asked him a similar question as to, as to what prompted the response from Stone. So I'd love to know because, yeah, some of these things with Ed's help or for Ed have become completely different than what you hear from, from other, other records that he's done, but in good ways. I think a lot of it is, you know, if you, if, if the other guys aren't into what you have, then it's sort of like, well, I don't want to waste the time then trying to sell them on it, you know, because they're not excited by it. So, you know, I'll, I'll put this off to the side and, you know, maybe I'll fool around with it. You know, if, if you're, if you have music and Ed isn't writing lyrics to it right away that's kind of like ah crap you know yep do i want to waste the time working on this and then it not working out in the end we have we have figured it out we have figured it out brandon ah i think we're there then we've done it (laughs) 
except for why it wasn't on the app. But that's okay. <laughs> we need to talk to Jeff about we'll that. Just one. Wait. Yeah, we'll just wait till we get them on our respective podcasts, right? That should be easy. Yes, and speaking of, and speaking of podcasts, uh, if people want to hear more of this uh, good, good Pearl Jam talk from you and Paul, where can they listen? Oh, well, they can go ahead and check out State of Love and Trust, and we're on all the platforms you could possibly listen to a podcast on, and you can check us out on our social media channels, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, uh, S-O-L-A-T underscore pod on, I want to say twitter and facebook and then just stay love and trust pod on uh, on instagram and we will we like to carry on the conversation there after we do an episode so uh, check us out all right listen 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 to this good stuff they got good stuff they 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 get in there they get deep with it <laughs> as <laughs> as you should know because if, if you're listening yeah. to this you should be listening to them too i imagine we have a very uh strong cross audience it's a very almost circle like venn diagram <laughs> probably yeah <laughs> the best kind of pie <laughs> all right well uh thanks for coming on jason and paul wherever you are thank you too paul's on the other side and he thanks you from wherever oh. the hell he is and uh i thank you as well and talk to everybody uh in the in the uh better band podcast universe another time the better band podcast is produced by listenuprino.com and brandon palomo and published using a creative commons attribution share alike 4.0 license Please visit creativecommons.org or email listenupreno at gmail.com for more details. All music played is owned by the respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for review purposes only under fair use. You can subscribe to the Better Band Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from betterbandpod.com using your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at betterbandpod. I am on Twitter at Brandon P. B-R-A-N-D-E-N-P. If you would like to support this podcast, you can go to either ko-fi.com slash Brandon P or patreon.com slash Brandon P. You can also just give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, but don't forget to tell your friends. If you would like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to betterbandpod at gmail.com or send me insights and stories you'd like to share and I'll read them on the season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank my guests, Jason and Paul, and as always, this is Brandon saying... Hi, I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me from such medical films as Alice Doesn't Live Anymore and Mommy, What's Wrong With That Man's Face? Thank you.